2: Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM.
4: To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie.
5: Tuesday morning, the 2nd of May. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. It's five years since 67% of people voted in the 2018 referendum to abolish the constitutional impediment to making abortion available in this country to women. The decision of a vast majority to repeal the Eighth Amendment allows legislators to set out the parameters for making services available. The termination of Pregnancy Act was signed into law in December of 2018. Now, a review of how the law is working in practice was commissioned by the government and, as you know, the barrister Marie O'Shea's report was published last week. It recommends changes to how the existing law is operating so that more GPs would sign up to providing the service and also so that each of the 19 maternity hospitals in the country would provide abortion services. Currently, abortion is only available in 11 of the 19 hospitals. The report doesn't end there. Marie O'Shea also recommends a number of changes should be made to the existing law. This would do away with the existing mandatory three-day waiting period intended to be a time of reflection. Current laws that could lead to criminal prosecution of medical personnel should be abolished and the 28-day clause for fatal fetal anomalies should also be reviewed. The report has been referred to the Oireachtas Health Committee which will now consider the legislative Changes being recommended before the committee itself makes its own recommendations to the government. Yesterday, the pro life campaign held its March for Life rally, which they say was in response to what they say are extreme recommendations contained in the report. Let's talk about this with Eilish Mulroy, a spokesperson for the pro-life campaign, and also with Ruth Coppinger of ROSA. A very good morning to both of you, and thank you for joining us on the programme. Eilish Mulroy, you said yesterday that this is guaranteed to become an election issue. Why so?
1: Thanks, Michael, for having me on the programme. I think, yeah, there's going to be a very big response to this. I think the the recommendations in the report are very extreme. I don't think one has to be a no-voter in 2018. We know that one in three people voted no, but I don't think one has to be a no-voter to think that these recommendations are very extreme. Um, It it was a very one-sided report. Uh, The recommendation to scrap the three-day waiting period is reckless. The proposal to decriminalise abortion would, in effect... You know, clear the way for abortion to late term. And I think it's a real betrayal of women that there was nothing in the report to look at ways to reduce the abortion rate. We know now in the last first four years of the law, we've had nearly 30,000 abortions, 28,400. Like You're, you're nearly talking about the population of Navan. This is a massive, massive number. And that's despite the fact that prior to the abortion referendum, we were given assurances by the Ben Teichick and other senior members of government that the abortion numbers wouldn't change dramatically. And I think that that's, the report would have been an opportunity, you know, to look at those numbers. But to look at helping women in unplanned pregnancy, you know, we're living in really straightened times financially. And people should never feel that they have to have an abortion because they're under pressure financially or they're under pressure from their partners or they, they're worried about their educational or, you know, their their, their career, etc. They, they really should feel more supported by the community and by the government. And the government right now, the My Options helpline, which is funded by the government, is not giving that information to women. It's not providing women with other choices. I think that's really, really difficult. And we we talk to those people mm. because we hear from those people in our work who say, I really wish somebody had offered me some help, and I might have gone ahead of my gone ahead and had my baby. So I think the government, this was a real, this this review was a really important thing. It was put into the legislation for a reason to take a proper look at the abortion law after three years. That hasn't happened. It's been a flawed process throughout the Minister has only listened to one side of the story, you know, pro-abortion campaigning groups in the main okay. has failed and refused to meet
5: Let's others. hear the other side of the story, though. In fairness, Ruth Coppinger, do you believe that people made up their minds five years ago when they voted to repeal the Eighth, or uh, do you uh, agree with Eilish? This is a separate question, if you like, uh, because it's far more extreme, as she puts it, than what was being proposed in the referendum.
4: Well, firstly to say that as, as you said, 67% of people voted, in, but they voted in huge numbers. More people voted in that referendum than voted in any before. So the country has spoken, and here we are five years later having a review, and in fact, Irish doesn't agree with any abortion services, but yes, practically on every media coverage of this issue, somebody from the pro-life amendment campaign or whose anti-abortion is brought on is if we're still in the referendum and still having to debate it. So what I would say is this, Ireland's abortion law isn't extreme, it's far from it. Um, And in fact, the Citizens' Assembly, which was a collection of 99 people randomly selected, plus a judge, recommended much, much more. And what we have been given is what the politicians who generally were seeing a false and a Gael, and more establishment parties were prepared to give. So, for example, Argentina granted abortion up to 14 weeks. Um, Colombia has granted abortion up to 22 weeks, you know. So the idea that Ireland's abortion law is extreme, it, it isn't. Mm. So what I would say is this, and what, what's been found is only 1 in 10 GPs are providing abortion for a whole number of reasons. And by the way, it's just a prescription. It's not actually, they're not carrying out abortions, Mm. you know. People are using safe medical abortion pills in their own homes for most abortions. And it's only if you go over a certain period or you can't uh, use these medical abortion pills that you go to a hospital.
5: Do we know what percentage of pharmacies uh, carry the tablets if 90% of the GPs aren't making the prescriptions?
4: I don't actually know that figure. Um, But it's interesting that... Um, You know, these pills are used, obviously, all over the world, and they're extremely safe, and I think they were a game-changer in providing abortion, because one of the things that Rosa, which I'm speaking for today, would have highlighted in the the build-up to the referendum was the fact that hundreds of Irish women were using these pills illegally, Mm. and... That's the other thing that I've heard, like the likes of David Quinn talking about figures of eight and a half thousand being a shock and Eilish said it there. I never said in the course of the referendum that abortion was going to be rare because one in three women actually has an abortion in their lifetime. They just don't tell people about it because of the stigma. Mm. and the shame that
5: surrounds us. I don't think anybody can argue that the law is working as it was intended uh, when uh, uh, 11 of the 19 maternity hospitals are, are providing uh, abortion and 90% of doctors aren't writing the prescriptions uh, as you say and that should uh, be addressed. Uh, the government has said it will address that and that's what people voted for I suppose and therein lies yeah. the problem for the party leaders uh, and we've heard reluctance on the part of Micheál Martin and Leo Vradker because they seem to feel that when they asked people to vote, they were voting for the legislation. Uh, uh, they, they would vote to repeal the eight on the basis that this was going to be the legislation and uh, in the legislation there were safeguards put in place as they see it and that was a commitment that they gave to people uh, and they don't want to welch on that commitment now.
4: Well, there's two things I'd say on that. First of all the idea that The country voted because of a three-day waiting period in such huge numbers. You know, there may have been a certain number of people who did, but certainly it wasn't a feature on any doorstep that I spoke on. Most people, when you knocked on doors, talked about choice and the person who was in that situation making the decision. And no, we don't want a forced birth situation, you know, in Ireland. And... Micheal Martin and Leo Varadkar have annoyed an awful lot of women by saying that because, number one, they can't even have read the report when they said it because it had only just been released. And number two, we said we were having a review and the reality is that three-day wait, it's actually two visits more than three-day wait, is creating a huge number of barriers, particularly the whole counties where women can't even find a GP to provide the service. So, the, the three-day wait was something that was introduced for politicians like Simon Coveney, who were a bit reluctant, and they wanted to be seen mm. to have barriers in the way so that they could argue that they support it. Mm. It wasn't for the WHO doesn't agree with
5: us. Yeah, and, uh, and if a woman honest. went to see a GP on Wednesday or Thursday of last mm. week, they'd only be able to go back for the second visit today, which is uh, where it can get complicated and become more than uh, the three days. Uh, Eilish That's Mulroy... Uh, I'm sure you want to come back on, uh, on uh, some of the points that Ruth Coppensure has yes, been
1: making. Yeah. Uh, first thing is, um, Ruth said that this law is not extreme. Even people like Anne Faraday, who Ruth would know, she was recent, until recently the head of Britain's largest abortion providers, provider, admitted in a tweet on the day that the referendum uh, passed that Ireland's new abortion law was one of the mo- most wide-open to abortion laws anywhere in the world. Like, in surprise at that. That's the first thing. So, to say it's not a very... Uh, Extreme law already is just not simply not correct. Ruth said she didn't give any assurances about abortion numbers before the referendum. That's fine, she didn't. But Ruth does understand that politically what represents it represents, political accountability. And the Taoiseach did when he launched the campaign. The leader of the country gave that assurance. Mm. And to say that people didn't rely on what Simon Coveney said. Simon Coveney spoke up as a senior minister, talking about how he was comfortable going ahead because of things like those limited... Safeguards like a three-day wait, mm. which we know incidentally might. be part saved. of the legislation many thousands of lives. But the legislation, but but, but the legislation
5: says, calls for the review just to, uh, on those points that you're making before uh, we lose sight of it. The legislation itself says this review must take place, and if the review finds problems, well, then that's uh, the finding of and, the review. And you know,
1: I, I wish the review did find look at the problems. Like, wh- why didn't the review look at the fact? I mean, Ruth and, and many colleagues voted against an amendment that would mandate. Pain relief in late-term abortion—something we give to animals in this country. The minister at the time said it wasn't appropriate to discuss in the law last year. It would be con- it, it, it would be addressed in the context of the three-day review. There's three lines given to that issue in a 139-page report, and it's simply dismissed. So, you know, in the review of the re- the, re- the law, it, can, it should it, it, it should be willing to go eat both ways, and it's, it's really a one-way street, which is not surprising, given who the minister spoke to all the way through this process. He only met with pro-abortion campaigning groups like the National Women's Council, the Coalition for PVA, the IFPA. He didn't meet with any pro-life organisations, and I, I'm not even pro-life organisations. He didn't even meet with middle ground people. He didn't meet and was no, had no interest in hearing the voices of women who've been through abortion and regret it, or the people who wish that somebody had offered them a helping hand at some stage. And that hasn't happened. And I want to say one thing as well. Ruth talked about, she said, it's just a prescription. I can't believe she said that on the radio. This is the ending of a human life, and it's a matter well, for a woman. Uh, and, and to say it's just a disgrace, well, it it it's, it. it's dismissing it. And the other thing is. No, I'm in, in
5: terms, of- I, I mean, I think you know what she meant. She said, when we're talking about services being provided by doctors, uh, it's Mind not. You, I it's been not- on your
1: program before. We all agree abortion is not a great thing. With. Let's. Even no matter how we stand on the issue.
5: Well, of well, the, all she was saying no was that thing the thing doctor just has thing. to write a prescription; he doesn't carry out uh, a, a physical, it, a physical was, procedure or anything like that. I want to go back to Ruth. Fair Godinger. enough, Michael,
1: but I think we have to remember what's actually involved an abortion. It's about the end of the human life. Mm, but, uh, about, we had all of all that, but
5: 67 percent of people in the country agree that it, it should be accessible and available to women in the country. The question is how it is made. Uh, I don't
1: think those people expect to have these kind of numbers. Myself, I really don't think they did, and I think that there's a lot of people who are, have virus or more over over. The, right. We we we, we talked to those people; they have voted yes, but I can't believe what.
4: Okay,
5: happened. are you, um, you 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 said earlier on that you weren't surprised by the numbers, Ruth Coppinger.
4: No, because mm. the, the numbers were always understated anyway. Because the the only numbers that we had were women, pregnant people who went to the UK and officially gave Irish addresses. There were also people who went to the UK and didn't give Irish addresses. They may have stayed with a relative there, right. used a different address to, because of the stigma. Yeah,
5: And far easier okay. to go to other but European also, countries with cheap flights. Exactly, and all that, yeah.
4: a lot of people were going to Holland, right. um, or sorry, the Netherlands, but also, let's not forget, there were hundreds of people each year uh, contacting women on web, hundreds more contacting women, help women. To, because, And they were mainly, by the way, because surveys showed, showed that, Two thirds of those were mothers already. So there were women who had considered and knew about all of the issues surrounding pregnancy, life, et cetera. And one of the issues that the anti abortion people are bringing up now is other options need to be given. I mean, we've heard this for years. So, you know, Eilish, et cetera, is going to pay women to be able to carry out, carry through pregnancies. What, what are other options, mother and baby homes? forced adoption. Like, we actually had all that in this country for a long, long time. And we're hearing about a one-way street. We had a one-way street for decades in this country where women were forced out in stigma, secrecy and shame or they were, you know, forced to give up their, their babies, as we know. So now people have a choice and the figures that we're seeing are no different and they're probably lower than they were in the 1980s because mm. it's more widely available
1: contraception.
5: Eilish, is it that you don't trust women uh, with that choice?
1: Michael, you know, I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, Ruth is actually going back to talk about the past now. There was a report in the Irish Examiner about a woman who was forced into a room this is mm. a sexual assault treatment. Okay, unit. but what, 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 what about
5: what about the adult women that we're talking about in the main uh, who make who make who make a very well? I did ask you a question before you started to make that point. In fairness, uh, which was, do you trust women uh, with having that choice?
1: Look, abortions in the country, you know, we accept that. Yeah, but do you trust women to have that choice? It's it's about. Giving women every choice, and like, like you know, the the idea that we 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 feel that we're not allowed anymore at all—that the prevailing wind is just towards abortion—that's not about trusting women. And I mean, if you go back
5: to, but do you, but do you, you respect women's like, choice to terminate a pregnancy?
1: Well, you know, I, I I respect and understand the difficulties that women are in, and I, I well, we hear from women who are in that tough situation. Mm. But there is no woman; I've never come across a woman who regret having her baby, even through difficult circumstances. I've come across so many women over the years who regret having their abortion and who wish somebody actually offered her some help, rather than just telling her, you go ahead, it's your choice, plow ahead. Mm, They just wish somebody had given them them another option. But I really think that the pro-abortion campaigning politicians and organisations don't care about the, the stories that give a bad press to, to abortion, like for example, the Sexual Assault Treatment Unit reports that said a woman, a girl under eighteen, was locked in a room and forced to, get, to take an abortion tablet. That was reported in the Irish Examiner last October, and I'm not, I'm not hearing Ruth or any of her colleagues on the radio mm, talking about okay. that or drawing attention to that. So it
4: is. A well, well, well,
5: maybe Ruth Carpenter would want to respond to that. It's not something I'm aware of. I have to say.
4: I know, and and these anecdotes are, are brought up all oh, the me, time by, amateur, so. by these people, and you know, to talk about somebody in a sexual assault situation, you know, um, uh, the, the the reality is we're here to talk about the abortion services now. I understand that Eilish doesn't agree with any of those services, but what what we have found is that women, particularly outside of Dublin, um, can't get access in the way that everybody had hoped. And I want to mention as well that we could have still Civita-type scenarios arising again because of the chilling effect of criminalisation on doctors. There were no abortions, practically none carried out on health grounds. That's quite worrying because we all know that the whole country was moved by, you know, situations that happened, Mm. such as what happened tragically to Civita. And also... The the other uh, problem has been that, uh, you know, people going over the time period, as was said. But the other thing is the three-day wait hasn't been happening because of the pandemic. This is the laughable point. The sky has not fallen in. Because of the pandemic and because of the restrictions on GP services, they actually implemented telemedicine services, which is something that I fully support because it's been found there's no difference in outcome. This is being found by the WHO, the World Health Organization, from having telemedical consultation mm. using abortion pills and going to a GP. So we're actually just creating unnecessary pressure on GP services. And most well. pe-
5: most women proceed anyway, don't they, after the three days?
4: Yeah, well, now, I've heard um, anti-abortion people tightly figured that thousands of women didn't go ahead because they didn't come back for the second visit. And the reason for that is that they were referred on to hospitals in many cases, or they may have had a miscarriage. You know, a huge number of pregnancies end in miscarriage naturally anyway. Um, But yet these figures are just dis- disingenuously used by the um, anti-choice side. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think it's... It, there's a whole raft of other things that are mentioned yep. in the report as well, by the way, you know, such as the 12 weeks. What, what, what we're actually finding is that people with really... Difficult medical diagnoses are still having to travel. Nobody in the country wanted that to continue, and it's continuing because doctors can't differentiate or they fear differentiating because of the strictness of the law between severe and fatal fetal abnormality, mm. meaning that those people have to continue traveling abroad.
5: Uh, and got the sense from you that there was a sense of déjà vu at the beginning of uh, the programme a sense of déjà vu that perhaps we're all feeling uh, this morning because uh, all of this we thought was settled five years ago. It'll now go to the to Health Committee uh, and uh, there's no uh, limit to the time set on them uh, taking uh, to consider all of this before making recommendations to government. Uh, Should it be uh, a bit tighter than all of that do you think, Ruth Coppinger?
4: I think there's actually a case for a special committee rather than the health committee, which, you know, by the way, mm. and I'm not saying men can't be pro-choice, they can be, but are yeah, yeah. very few women on that committee just, just uh, as a matter of, mm. you know, being representative.
5: But this is going to go um, on for the rest of this year, most likely, isn't it? This discussion.
4: Uh, yeah, but I would say one thing. Like we are out of a referendum. It's not a case that we have to have somebody on from the pro-life amendment campaign every single time that this gets discussed. Mm. You know, the people did speak. And uh, now this should be just considering the problems in the law the people that are being left behind by the laws. And that's what it should focus on.
5: OK. OK, I am surprised, a little bit surprised to hear you say that. Uh, uh, Eilish Monroe, you are very welcome. I know that you represent uh, a number of people and how all of that pans out uh, is a different day's work. Uh, but would you like to see this uh, dealt with uh, in a quicker time frame than it seems is ahead of us? Because we're going to be debating this back and forth again for months on end.
1: Well, I think, you know, I agree there's always kind of fatigue over this issue. But at the same time, Michael, I think this is a really important issue. They're talking about women's lives, really irreversible decisions, and the ending of unborn human beings' lives. So I think we can never talk about that enough. enough. And I think in any democracy, we should always be happy to and to, to revisit these type of topics You know that, that are involved in life, life-ending procedures. Um, it, it, it's hard to see how it will pan out. I mean, certainly what the Taoiseach had said is interesting. Uh, he acknowledges himself, I suppose, how extreme some of those recommendations are uh, and sees difficulties getting it through the office. I think there will be a very big pushback against um, some of these recommendations going through the office. Mm. I just and I, I think it is important because I know mm, yeah. because, that, because Ruth raised it about the three day
5: wait.
1: Mm. The, those figures are actually from parliamentary questions, and they and I accept and everyone accepts that there will be a certain number of miscarriages.
6: Result, still, a,
1: yeah. a still a lot of lives saved, and I think that or a lot of lives okay. saved, and a lot of women change their minds, and I think that in any situation I mean you know we, we encourage you to take time in those kind of life changing situations Okay well, I, I think you think made I... an
5: important point uh, as well which is we really don't know how it's going to pan out uh, because mm. uh, Marie O'Shea has made her recommendations they go to the health committee they'll make their recommendations that'll go to the government the government then will probably introduce some form of legislation but then that has to be voted on by members of uh, the Oireachtas uh, who by uh, for the most part uh, will have a, a free vote uh, so it could run for some time to come uh, and I'm sure we will be hearing a lot more arguments over the intervening time but we have to leave it there and thank you both for your time and for joining us on the programme today. That was Eilish Mulroy, spokesperson with the Pro Life Campaign. We were also speaking with Ruth Coppinger who's a spokesperson for Rosa. Already a number of people in touch with us and you're welcome to have your say as well if you like her. Telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658 Email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM, on LMFM. Now some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, today. Geraldine says abortion is a human right and government needs to butt out of it, leave women alone to make up their minds, uh, their own minds on this issue. We have minds of our own, Geraldine says, and we are quite capable of using our own conscience on this. Uh, Geraldine also says uh, that the government has a hard neck trying to influence women on this issue. Thank you very much indeed, Geraldine. Uh, I think in fairness, uh, the government has to provide what are appropriate laws. Uh, That is the question what is appropriate and now the law as it stands according to the official report should be changed so the government has to decide on that and the, the process it's taking at the moment is by referring it to the health committee which will come back with its own set of recommendations uh, and then the government will have to decide and then ask the TDs and the DAL to vote on uh, the laws that they propose uh, another text or it was a phone call actually from somebody who said Eilish Mulroy just said that this was about giving women everything every choice. Surely giving women every choice means giving them the choice to have an abortion if they want to have one. How can Eilish say she wants to give women every choice when she is so set against abortion as one of the options? Thank you for your call. As I say, uh, some text messages uh, from somebody who says, there goes Ruth again talking about Zavita. Uh, this is Zavita uh, Halapanaver who died in Gaul a number of years ago before the referendum. Obviously, I'm sure people will never forget Savita Halappanavar and how she was denied uh, an abortion, how it led to sepsis and cost her her life. Uh, but our caller says, what about all of the healthy babies that are, are being killed by taking pills in the privacy of rooms? It just seems like they mean nothing. Uh, thanks a number of people uh, with similar views. Uh, obviously, uh, anti-abortion. Uh, uh, Betty Daly says, Michael, If one in three women want an abortion and some might need uh, another abortion after being careless, uh, imagine the queues in our hospitals. They're already chock-a-block with people needing attention for strokes and heart attacks and God knows. Thanks uh, for that, Betty. Mary says people I know voted for abortion because they were swayed by the fatal fetal abnormality argument. They couldn't believe healthy babies were going to be killed and Michael they are human beings when it comes down to it says our caller. Thank you indeed. Uh, That's Mary who sends us that text this morning. As I say thanks very much if you've been in touch it's always an emotive issue Uh, and I think as usual we're hearing different views on both sides of the argument although I think the clear majority of uh, people made their view known on the Eighth Amendment which means abortion can be available under certain circumstances. It's those circumstances uh, that has led to this new debate, uh, which was going to go on for months, it seems. Anyway, if you'd like to comment, as always, oh four one nine eight three two thousand. If you want to ring us, text or WhatsApp 86 658 email michael at lmfm.ie.
3: Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Let's yeah,
5: speak to a local man, Jared Weldon in Cullen. It's a while since I last spoke to you, Jared. Hope you're keeping well and uh, thanks uh, for taking our call this morning. Thanks for your email, by the way. Uh, it sounds uh, as though you and many others are at the end of your tether because uh, the good work you, you do as a volunteer is becoming harder to do. And uh, you're listening to the programme last week and we we're talking about the cost of insurance. You wrote to us suggesting that. That a state-sponsored insurance scheme should be established for voluntary community organisations. That's how bad the situation is at the moment, Gerard.
7: Yes, Michael, and thanks very much for the opportunity to talk on this issue. Because it seems there's an awful lot of talk being done and absolutely no action taken. There was a survey done, a national survey through the PPN on insurance through the national, through the public participation networks in 2019, 2020. And the the, the results of that survey are startling to say the least. Uh, You know we have a situation in in a country where uh, community groups now are paring back on what they do because they can't cover insurance and because insurance companies have all the say. They will dictate to you what exactly it is he can do and can't do. So I think that there's a couple of things that need to be straightened out in this country. And one of them is this, that there's a so-called community and voluntary sector. Mm. Now, that community and voluntary sector uh, will have, uh, be included in that, will be anything from uh, organisations that have uh, uh, millions of uh, euro in, in budgets, CEOs, paid staff, and all that, the trappings of the of the corporate sector. And then you have down at the other end, you have the people who do all the work, free, gratis and for nothing, the volunteers. Mm. And they are groups that are made up of groups like Tidy Towns groups, Village Enhancement groups, uh, Pride of Place groups, uh, all those kind of groups, Community Alert groups, Active Retirement groups, people who are all uh, volunteer run and led and manage and, and, and that kind of thing. No one and gets paid. Sa-
5: saves saves the state two billion euro, you said in in your well, email.
7: That, that's the figure, yes Michael, yeah. that's the figure that's standing at about two million. Right. I believe it's a conservative estimate really. Okay. Uh, right. When you when you think about it. But like uh, you look at, take a couple of examples. We just take the Loud Looking Good uh, initiative, Meads Pride of Place initiative, and you will be familiar with those two counties in particular that are in your catchment area, LMFM's catchment area. Mm -hmm. And uh, the work that's done there every year by volunteers is just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. You couldn't, you couldn't. uh, Local authorities would never come even close to matching it. It just, just would would be impossible for them. And these are people who start them. volunteering at seven uh, o'clock in even, sometimes finishing at 12 o'clock at night, oh and, mm. and doing everything free, gratis, and for nothing. Yeah. You know, oh. And it's high time, Michael, that a lot of these organisations, and particularly government departments, Uh, statutory authorities and agencies acting on behalf of the government realise that they are there to serve the needs of the citizens, not the other way around because that's the way it has gone.
5: Great that you mentioned them uh, as well because they are the unsung heroes of our our, our communities, Uh, but it's not just insurance uh, that you say is making it difficult to be uh, a volunteer. You sent us a a long list of obstacles, if you like, bureaucracy uh, and barriers to working as a volunteer.
7: Ma- Michael, if we could battle bureaucracy and officialdom, we- we- we'd-, we'd use up all the bottles in the world. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. And if it was a potion for good health, we- we'd be all flying. But uh, just the cost of compliance associated with all the regulations, and, for instance, uh, GDPR, the bane of everybody's life, uh, guard the vetting, regulation and duplication of reporting, all this kind of stuff. Mm. And, for instance, if I want to be a volunteer with a, a local youth club, I have to be guard the vetted, and rightly so. If I want to become a volunteer with an active retirement group, I have to be guard the vetted, and rightly so. And uh, because both groups that I just mentioned would be considered to be vulnerable in terms of adults working with them. So, but why do we have to be guard the vetted multiple times? And right. that's the fact. Okay. So, like I mean to say, if somebody does a safe pass, for going on a building site, they do a safe pass and they New York every three years or something like that. So, all this is having a detrimental effect and it is important to note, and uh, the chairman of the municipal district in Leighton and Betty St. Nassio at the uh, Pride of Place Awards in saying, Councillor Harding, did mention that uh, uh, volunteering was on the way in, and he's dead right. Uh, and, and it's noticed all over. There's a certain age profile of people who are not volunteering anymore, purely and simply because they don't have the time. Mm. They're paying big markets. Just two people in the house have to work. They have child mining, They have everything. And so they, they are really, really prevented from making a contribution, the contribution they would like to make. So it's down now to those of us in our senior years, people in their 60s and 70s and into their 80s, and there's still people in their 90s volunteering in their communities. Right. They do absolutely wonderful work. Work,
5: are you not saying younger people volunteering at all
7: uh, there are there are now in our community we're lucky uh, we have a lot of younger people coming on board but it's very difficult for them it's very very difficult for them like I mean to say you look at the type of work. We say the, the the initiatives, the environmental initiatives by the boat councils that I mentioned. Mm. There's people down in ditches every day of the week, Michael, volunteers pulling somebody else's rubbish out of the ditches. The councils would never get close to doing that. Never. They'd never do it in 100 years because their outdoor staff are all being depleted. The they, council staff that they have is covering a massive area. So um, you know, it's impossible for them. And in fairness to the county councils, and I'd sometimes be very critical of them, uh, uh, they, 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 um, they they do their best with the budget they have. They have nothing, and that's because a lot of the larger organisations uh, uh, from when they go to do engage in any of these programmes or administer from, uh, them on behalf of the government, they have to have an administrative budget out of that. They have to have a Staff costs out of that, they have all this, Kennedy. And yet, here we are, the volunteers that are contributing two billion every year to the Irish society are left a trillion of thumbs and holding church gate collections mm.
5: together and shared. It's an awful mindset, isn't it? Uh, the people yeah. who uh, fly tip or illegally dump or whatever words you want to put on it. It's just beyond my comprehension as to how yeah, yeah, somebody even, can decide yeah. to do that and then walk away from it and leave it for somebody else to clean up.
3: No, yeah.
7: If you take Michael, there was a, a publication there, there was a national volunteering strategy for from for twenty twenty one to twenty twenty five published. Very glossy my very glossy uh, uh document you want you want to see it now. You can get it very easily if you ring up the Department of Uh uh, uh Rural and Community Development, they'll send you on one of these. And uh um, uh, it's all in it on the challenges that uh, uh, volunteers face. It's all there on volunteering organisations. And it's important to point out, because of this myriad of officialdom and bureaucracy that we are at, at the our Holloway, there are organisations, national organisations, springing up all around the place, And they will offer the training courses and they'll offer the courses on governance and the vetting and Mm. uh, child protection and vulnerable people protection and all this kind of thing at a cost to the state. When government departments should be doing this themselves, what are they doing, Michael?
5: Like what are they doing? Yeah, well, I'm not going to answer for them, but your 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 biggest concern is the cost of insurance, obviously, uh, yes. which is making it impossible to do certain things. Uh, it is. Could the state intervene in the way that you're suggesting? Is is that actually an option?
7: It has to be an option, Michael. We can't be, we can't be talking about this for another ten or fifteen years. This issue of insurance for voluntary mm. organisations is going on now almost fifteen years. Mm-hmm you know and and like for instance uh, summer camps for children uh, of an age group we say 7 or 12 or something like that they're a godsend for parents and grandparents a lot of them who are the babysitters for the summer holidays and that kind of thing and but people who want to go and run them the first thing they get is a massive massive insurance quote that just rules it out of the question Mm, but
5: but if the state was to indemnify people for the same reasons for less of a cost uh, then there's going to be a huge risk, isn't there, to the state, a huge liability, most likely, to the state, unless the insurance companies are just ripping everybody off?
7: Well, Michael, I think the state has to intervene, and I'll tell you why. Uh, all these insurance costs that have gone up all the time, mind you, a lot of organisations report that they were getting in, uh, increased insurance quotes during the pandemic the worst of the pandemic, when nothing was happening, everything was shut down, including our community involvement. And yet our insurance quotes were, were rising all the time. So, Mike, why one of the questions that has to be answered, Michael, is this. How much commission are the brokers and these insurance companies taking on the quotes of for voluntary organisations? How much are they making on it? Are they making 40%? Are they making 50%? What are they making? We don't know. And the Commission Alliance for uh, Insurance Reform that was set up, um, uh, nothing has been produced. You heard it last week on your program there. Industries are, 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 and small businesses are reporting that some of them are closing down because of insurance costs. So something has to be done to address it. There's a total imbalance in all this. And one of the things that has to be done, Michael, and this might be part of the solution, There has to be a clear separation between those in the voluntary and community sector who uh, do everything free, gratis and for nothing. They are the volunteers and the voluntary organisations. And those who work in the voluntary and community sector who are paid to do so. Okay. So there has to be a clear distinction there, Michael. You can't have the tail wagging the dog the whole time in this country. All and right. That's what's happening at present with insurance.
5: Okay, Jared, I have to leave you there. Thank you very much indeed uh, Thanks, for taking the Appreciate call. Thanks as well for your email to the program for that matter. That's uh, Jared Weldon speaking to us from Cullen. Michael, Michael
3: Reed on, on
5: LMFM. The population of Ireland stands at 5.12 million people. At least that's the preliminary result from the census. The final census is to be published on the 30th of May. But that population could have a big impact on how politics runs in this country. Let's speak now to Tim Carey who's head of electoral operations with the Electoral Commission mission. Good morning, Tim. Thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, if the population uh, turns out as expected to be 5.12 million euro, uh, that could see a significant increase in the number of TDs in the country uh, because there's a constitutional uh, aspect to this. There must be one TD for every 20 to 30,000 people in the country.
0: That's correct, yeah. Good morning, Michael. Um, yeah, so... The minimum uh, number of TDs, and this is going to be a significant change, the minimum increase in TDs for the the next all will be 11, and the maximum will be 21. So at the current uh, uh, size, we have 160 TDs. This will be going up to a minimum of 171 and up to 181. Now, this is done, as you say, for population uh, reasons. So every 20,000, 30,000 people must be represented by a TD. But there's another sort of element to that which kind of complicates things and and maybe leads into a bit more confusion about county boundaries and stuff like that is that there needs to be a quality of representation. So, for instance, uh, you know, it's not a case of every person in Laos being represented by 20,000 people and every person in Mead being represented by 30,000 people. There must be equality across all of the constituencies as much as possible. So that leads to a, a lot of change. But what we will see is this is the biggest increase in the number of TDs in Doyle eireann for about four decades.
5: Okay, Uh, And it it must happen. How it happens and where the TDs will represent is is your job uh, as such. Uh, But you're taking submissions on this at the same time because it it is a little bit more complicated than doing a a quick uh, calculation on the back of an envelope in terms of how many people the TDs uh, will represent. And you're hoping to hear from people by the 10th of May. And you mentioned boundaries there. I was reading in the Irish Times that uh, a Minister of State, Peter Burke, uh, has been in touch with you. He's made a submission to the electoral commission, and he's concerned about parts of West Mead being in the Mead West constituency. I take it that's the type of submissions that you get from people.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So we've received over a hundred submissions to date. Uh, some of them are very local about townlands and electoral districts and wanting to be in a different constituency, and some are uh, looking at the sort of the national picture. You know how we do this, and maybe we should be looking at uh, doing it a different way or changing that twenty to thirty thousand. So we're looking for people's views on the whole process uh, that we're undertaking, and it is a complicated process, and it is difficult for people to, I think, get their heads around it. Um, I mean, one of the other issues is that that that's emerging is people saying, "Can we not have six seat constituencies?" Actually, Actually, we can't because the legislation says we need three, four or five seat constituencies. So there's a number of constraints and this process is undertaken in Ireland every five years. So there's a census every five years. This process is undertaken. It's What's happened now is that uh, it used to be a case where we would have the minimum number of representation. So a TD would be for twenty two hundred uh, sorry twenty thousand people. Um, but now we've just we've hit that ceiling of thirty thousand. So it's inevitable that we need to increase. And I think it's interesting to note that if we went for the if the Dáil decided to go for the maximum number of TDs allowable for the constitution, the, the the number would increase from 160 to somewhere around 256. So it's still very much at the at the lower end of the scale. Mm. Um, but, but we are looking for people's submissions. The website is uh, electoralcommission.ie and you know anything that you, you, you put up will be brought to the attention of the commissioners uh, in their review. So it's a, it's a complicated process. Um, we will be making a report to the Dáil by the end of August. And then it's up for the all to decide whether they put that into legislation for the for the next election.
5: Mm, and I suppose when you're talking about the constituencies and the number of seats that must be uh, available, uh, it probably helps us understand uh, why there isn't a County Meath TD. We're talking about Meath West because that's one of the two constituencies. Uh, and it's simply that the population of County Meath is too big to have it as one single electric, uh, electoral area, is it?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it, it's... It would be ideal if all the counties had, you know, fit in, you know, exactly proportionally with each other for the dollar representation, but they simply don't. So it's inevitable that county boundaries are breached uh, in, 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 in these reviews. Now, what I would say is the Commission, the first thing that they're doing is looking at seeing where they can fix things uh, as opposed to where they can, you know, make things uh, you know, different. Mm. So they're looking, you know, the first protocol is can they restore county boundaries and where can they do that? And achieve that equality of representation uh, across the country. So it is a sort of, a, it's a mathematical and kind of cartographic challenge um, that that they're undertaking, but just trying to, to get the best results for as many people. Um, and at the same time, you know, listen to all the, the concerns that people have about their own constituencies and how they, that can be brought on board uh, throughout the process.
5: Okay, as you say, uh, we're going to have an increase in the number of TDs. There's no way of uh, avoiding that because Mm. of the population increase in the country. Uh, But people will say, do we really need as many TDs? Uh, I see it in the submissions uh, that you've received as well, that here... Uh, the Irish Constitution dictates there should be one TD for every twenty to 30,000 people. In France, it's one TD, if you like, to 100,000 people, one to 92,000 in the UK, one to 140,000 people in Norway. But that's not something you have any influence over, is it? That would require a, a referendum if we were to amend the Constitution uh, to bring the numbers up like that.
0: That's correct, yeah. It would require a referendum, um, but we would obviously like to hear from people about their views and the Commission, part of the Commission's role is to, you know, suggest policy to the government or propose policy to the government and legislation to the government, etc. So, you know, and the Commission will be here, you know, previous constituency reviews were were carried out by um, kind of ad hoc commissions that were set up and then disestablished as soon as they produced their report. The Electoral Commission is a permanent body now in Ireland that was set up in February. Um, So it will be doing the next constituency review. So, you know, it has an interest in hearing people's views on the whole process. And I think, you know, you talk about, you know, this increase in population, etc. The current increase, rate of increase of the Irish population is two TDs per year. If you want to put it that way,
6: okay. Uh, mm.
0: So you know, yeah. if you want to project forward, you know that this is that there will be a continuous increase if the population continues to increase as it does. Mm. Uh, there will there will have to be a continuous increase in in the numbers and dollar there.
5: But you have heard from people who have said, "Bring an end to it, please. Have a referendum."
0: Uh, yes, there has been um, views on that, and will you know when when all the the submissions are in, um, they they'll be uh, presented to the the commission members for their views um and are, are for their for their consideration and may well influence sort of um, the report ultimately um, mm. so it's, it's it's you know it's an important process i don't think many irish people uh, are you know who are outside of the political sphere are are really aware that this happens every 5 years but i think because of the increase in tds this year people will be very aware that this is actually happening this year, you know. I think people will be quite surprised to see the number of increase of TDs.
5: Yeah, well, 11 to 21 new TDs will challenge all of us, I suppose, in uh, trying to keep up with it all. What will it mean for the Shannon? Is the number of senators uh, who uh, have seats uh, dictated uh, by the number of TDs? Is it a percentage of uh, the number of TDs?
0: No, I don't oh. think no. It comes up in a, in a different scenario. So, no, it, it wouldn't have a direct correlation there, I don't think.
5: All right. Uh, and then what about the European Parliament? So,
0: yeah, and uh, thanks for, for, for saying that. Yeah, so we're also reviewing the European uh, Parliament constitution.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
0: the difference with the European Parliament uh, constituencies is is that um, county boundaries aren't breached to, you know, to to get that equality of representation. Mm. Um, now, we are actually getting going to be getting, we believe, it's not been confirmed yet, but we believe Ireland will be getting one or possibly two extra uh, members of the European Parliament. So we will be looking for views on pe- from people about the, the European Parliament constituencies. Mm. And again, that's on the website, electoralcommission.ie. Now,
5: what about the constituencies? Uh, the three constituencies, they're very big, aren't they? Uh, is, is that something that could come under review?
0: They are very big. Um, I suppose when you're dealing at a European level, I think that that's sort of, um, you know, uh, common across, uh, across Europe. But again, if people want to make their views known on that. That's absolutely, you know, that's part of the learning process for the Electoral Commission and, and the, the gathering of information.
5: OK, uh, just one text, which I won't read out in full, uh, but it says, just what we need, Michael, more self-interested, overpaid TDs. As I say, I won't read it as, uh, as it was written exactly, Tim, but I think that's the point mm-hmm. of you being with us today. If that's the way people feel they should contact you and share their views with you.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and you know, I suppose the, the, the other side of that is that, that Ireland's population has a very close relationship with its TDs as well. So that's something that have to keep in mind. I mean, most people know one of their local TDs or has very clear access to them, and that's been part of the, the Irish political system really since the foundation of the state. So you know, there are kind of there are many aspects to this to this issue.
5: Mm. A little over a week uh, for people to contact you. The tenth uh, is uh, the closing date for submissions. If people do want to make a submission to you, uh, we'll have the full census at the end of uh, the month and uh, then you'll be making your recommendations uh, to government in August. If if, um, just for example there was an election before you make your recommendations in August I take it uh, the same boundaries and so on would apply?
0: Uh, Yeah uh, so um, there's obviously kind of legal and constitutional issues involved in that should that that arise but the the existing documents I think would apply until the new report is 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 approved by the architects and enacted in legislation
5: okay very good tim thank you indeed for joining us this morning that's tim Carey, who's head of electoral operations with the electoral commission
3: michael reed on lmfm
5: now, prisons are unable to rehabilitate prisoners and to prepare them for re-entry back in, into the world. That's uh, the view of Bishop Martin Hayes, who's the Bishop of Kilmore and uh, the liaison bishop with prison chaplains. Uh, bishop Hayes is on the line. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. You were making your comments after a visit to Mount Joy Prison uh, and uh, an experience uh, I think most people listening uh, this morning won't have had. Uh, maybe you tell us a little bit about what you did experience at Mount Joy.
2: Uh, good morning, Michael. Uh, good to be with you. Um, yes, I was there um, on the 4th of April. Um, part of my remit is to go and visit all the prisons uh, and support the prison chaplains. Um, first of all, I got a great welcome there from the chaplains and from um, the, the, the prison staff and the, the management. And and then I also ha- had the freedom then and to, to move around through the different parts of the prison and to meet some of the prisoners as well okay and um
5: so what did, what, what did you make of it um were you intimidated at all or
2: uh, no well i suppose i i i i have visited other prisons in the country so i'm maybe uh, it's always somewhat daunting always mm-hmm. uh, when you when you when you go into an environment like that especially when you see the amount of um we'll say gates that are locked and each area you go to are one is isolated from the other so it's um it's quite daunting in that respect, um, but I, I did have the opportunity to meet some of the prisoners and chat to them, and uh, I, I did experience then, uh, on first hand, then did the whole issue of overcrowding, whereby you have a, a cell uh, with a bed in it and then a mattress, a very thin mattress then. Laid, uh, laid down on the floor mm-hmm. so, um, and I was able to, to, to witness that.
5: Yeah, and you're concerned about the lack of dignity that people have in prisons as a result? Yeah,
2: sure, yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. Um, now, while I, I, we always have to have, take account of the fact that uh, people have suffered, uh, there are victims of crime and those bereaved by crime at the hands of, of, of those who are convicted uh, at the same time I, I think rather than just throwing away the key and forgetting about them, uh, the men who are there and the women um we, we need to be um alert to the fact that we what we want to do is is hopefully that in their time there that they will mend their ways put it in in ordinary language and then come out into society you know ready to contribute and
5: um yeah. do you believe that it, it is what happens um because uh, you're obviously concerned uh, about whether people are rehabilitated uh, when they leave
2: well uh, i think they view of anyone who is involved uh, be it um, the the prison system itself and speaking to them that there's huge limitations upon the amount of rehabilitation that can be done due to
5: overcrowding Mm, You hear people uh, talking about prisons as a a training ground for a life of crime, particularly if uh, somebody is being sent to prison first time uh, for a relatively small crime, that they meet up with people and they uh, learn about crime and criminality and friendships and so on possibly drug use and uh, drug uh, addiction.
2: Yeah, yeah and and that's that's a danger, you know, and because one of the significant factors that I'm learning is that quite an amount of uh, of people are sent to prison for short term and, uh, and 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 then they may fall victim to what you're indicating there Michael and uh, that they may learn about crime rather than be rehabilitated. So I suppose the important thing would be if there was alternatives found to shorter sentences, that there was, um, uh, you know, a rehabilitation system in community whereby people, you know, would, would, would have a better chance of being rehabilitated. But the, the big problem is at the minute, and, and speaking to prisoners and, you know, that they find it hard, you know, to put down, um, to bring time um, because there's nothing to do. Mm. No, at the same time, by the same token, I have to remember as well that there are a number of prisoners who won't engage with um, any rehabilitation or any education. So that 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 is a factor as well. Mm.
5: Yeah, and uh, you're, uh, sp- you've you been speaking to prisoners uh, who've found it difficult uh, to avail of education classes uh, and so on because of uh, the overcrowding. What about people who say, oh, it's too easy, it's luxurious to go in there and they've all of their meals... Handed up to them, um, they've uh, a warm, cosy bed. Uh, you sometimes hear people wanting to get into prison rather than sleeping on the streets, uh, and uh, that it's um, all of these televisions and all of this stuff um, that they should be uh, forced to do hard labour and all of that. Have you any thoughts on that viewpoint?
2: Yeah, that that view is there, and and, and that and that view, I would agree with it to an extent. You know, with, with some prisoners who are in. Uh, situations whereby they're, you know, they're, they're threatened with homelessness. And I, I did hear of an incident whereby someone literally had to be persuaded to leave a prison because of the fact that where they were going was was unsafe and uh, that they, they didn't have a home to go to. Mm. Um, but That's dreadful, uh, it was like we have to broaden mm. uh, our consideration of this matter, you know, that the whole idea when anyone commits a crime is that, you know, that they that they be helped to rehabilitate and mend their ways and, and return to society, um, you know, mm. by, by making a contribution to it. So when you have a situation whereby it is overcrowding and, um, you know, and everyone is just about managing, you know, to, to run the system. And it's, it, there's a certain amount of chaos about it. Um, you know, wh- what needs to happen really is that uh, there needs to be extra uh, space and, and extra uh, accommodation for prisoners. Mm. Um, you know, because yeah. you know what I would I would see there is that, you know, where you're in a situation where by two prisoners are in one cell, all the improvements that have happened up to now are, are now um, come to naught um, because um, you're, you're now regressing. You know, and you're mm. not affording any any support to a, a man or a woman to. Um, to, to be to become re- rehabilitated.
5: Mm. That's really dreadful. Those it? I think that somebody would want to stay in prison uh, because yeah. uh, the bed is more comfortable, yeah. as the case may be. Uh, I, I don't know. I've uh, never uh, liked the idea of it. I imagine um, that prisons are very dangerous places, and probably all the more dangerous if uh, they're overcrowded. Uh, is there risk of violence and assault?
2: Yeah, the, and, and the management are very conscious of that because you have in, in the different prisons you have. Uh, uh, there, some prisons have to be segregated from each other because they belong to the different uh, criminal um, groups and so they're, they're, there's a huge amount of effort goes into keeping them separated from each other so again when you have overcrowding that makes the management of that all the more
5: difficult Does it make it easier to manage prisons if the prisoners are on drugs? Uh, there has been a, a theory for some years uh, that a blind eye is turned because it sedates the prisoners
2: yeah, uh, I wouldn't uh, agree. There, there is a real problem, and um, my press statement was about um, Mount Jai, and and there is a real problem there because it's a it's a, it's a prison that's in, within a city, and it's surrounded by buildings, and so it's very difficult to to try and keep uh, drugs out of out of um, the prison itself. Um, so, I, I, I don't agree that that drugs are are in the end of the day. Are only going to give rise to to, to, to greater problems, um, mm. you know, and 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 even give rise to an extent of criminality within the prison system itself. Mm. It, it's a huge problem, um, especially in Mount Jai. I think maybe in other prisons they have systems in place to to, pre- to prevent drugs getting in.
5: But, but would you be worried about the mental health of prisoners? Uh, yeah, under- a,
2: a, absolutely, and that's that's another point. Um, you know, the, 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 there's um, the, there's quite, I, I would have met uh, some of the prisoners who are there, uh, because there was no other place for them, and um, there was no alternative care system there, uh, and very often they they had gotten into crime uh, due to um, a mental health issue, and then sometimes the, the mental health issues are exacerbated, exacerbated uh, by drugs, you know, so mm-hmm. they they don't re- resolve the issue. So there is a, that, that that is a, another key issue as well is the the whole issue of of, of mental health and that. Mm-hmm. Very often uh, the judicial system has no option but to to send uh, a man or a woman to to jail when maybe uh, the the better uh, option would be to to, um, have them cared for in in a mental health uh, facility.
5: Mm, Yeah. Well, that's it. Uh, I mean, if you took all of the people out of the prisons with mental health problems and drug addictions, uh, there'd be very few left um, outside of of those cohorts. Uh, Do you agree with the prison system?
2: well I, I have um it, it, where, where it operates well for example if if for example now in in, in the midland prison in, in port leash it's a, it's one of the newer facilities and i have there had the experience of going through the education workshops and i have met prisoners who have learned uh, new skills and um as I say not all prisoners decide on that option mm. but, so it, it can work mm. um but there is a, a, a need for for greater space and uh, and more accommodation because they're in general they're they're overcrowded and they're under pressure.
5: Uh, and when it, it doesn't work, Bishop, uh, uh, am I right in thinking you feel that it can prove uh, to be counterproductive?
2: Yeah, I, 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 I absolutely. You know, if if if, if conditions are are are, are overcrowded, um, you know, and even. I'm just remembering a, a conversation I had with one particular prisoner who um is is has been you know given extra responsibility, but he finds that because the, the because things are so chaotic um he, he finds that uh, you know his um respect for law and respect for uh is, is, is declining rather than than, um, than than increasing or being enhanced um because you know, it's, it's just everything is, is 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 done in a in a very rushed and uh, and any efforts to try and um, get uh, rehabilitation or mm. uh, education or whatever um, because they're not as available when they want him. Um, everyone is just about coping um, at the minute, uh, right. including management, staff, chaplains, and uh, and the prisoners themselves. Yeah.
5: Mm. Uh- I think uh, it's often been remarked uh, as to whether there's much difference to the life of a prison officer than that of a, a prisoner. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do do you hear from prisoners, Bishop, uh, who want to do their time and, and when they come out, go on the straight and narrow?
2: Yes, I, I do. I have I have met prisoners uh, like that and met prisoners, uh, ex-prisoners outside of prison and who know, like um, just remembering um, some particular incidents whereby... Uh, a person who had been through the courts and uh, once the decision was made and he was convicted, he was relieved and then he was prepared then to do his time and get that over with and then um, emerge and, uh, back into society. And um,
5: Do we allow for that? Does society allow for that or are people just stigmatised because...
2: Well, th- th- mm-hmm. that, that, that's always a, a difficulty mm-hmm. and, and that would be a difficulty for, for ex prisoners as well that, um, that they... Um, they continue to be stigmatized. Um, but uh, anyhow,
5: so look mm. at um, yeah. Your main point is the overcrowding uh, and to treat yeah. people uh, with a level of decency, um, which uh, we're failing at the moment. Bishop, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining okay. us on the program. Much appreciated, time. Thanks, thank Mikey. you. Thank you very much indeed, Bishop Martin Hayes, uh, the Bishop of Kilmore, is the liaison bishop with the prison chaplains. Michael,
3: Michael Reed on LMFM. on LMFM.
5: There's been a terrible uh, drugs gangland feud in the Drogheda region. As you know, uh, much has happened and much has uh, been promised and indeed uh, an implementation board uh, to realise the recommendations uh, made in a report by Vivian Guerin is in place and everybody agrees there's a, a lot of good work uh, that is underway but last week the doll heard that not uh, enough is being done for the region.
6: If we are looking at the North East Inner City Initiative it doesn't make much sense unless we're having a review of it. Um, I, I'd say the same would go for the drought Implementation Board and Plan and there's many things that are happening that I, that I would definitely support and some of this is just streamlining the communication between agencies but do I think there are sufficient resources to really do the business we that we need to do no look I, I know over the last couple of days I've had parents coming to me I'm worried about their kids who are in the throes of addiction who can't access addiction services I am dealing constantly and even this week with drug intimidation scenarios where people who don't have a lot of choice or don't see they have a lot of choice fall into what they think is easy money and then usually a bigger shark runs them over so that's what we're dealing with I'm talking about tourists and Doc, and I can talk about the fact that they have a dual diagnosis pilot that they have to finish off and um, Through self-funding, I talk about the family addiction support network used by the Gardaí but does not have sustainable funding. And Red Door has had some successes in relation to um, funding, but again, we do not have multi-annual funding that is absolutely necessary. So we need to get real about this. Are we going to have the resources in the community safety partnerships to deliver what really needs to be delivered across the board? I and I suppose the sooner the
5: better Right, so that's uh, Sinn Féin TD for Loud and Eastmead Rory Muraco, who joins us to debate this with Fine Gael TD for Loud and Eastmead Rory Muraku, and good morning to both of you Rory Muraku, you said there we need to get real uh, how uh, real do we need to, to get uh, you mentioned a, a number of bodies there that aren't getting the sufficient funding but uh, what would you like to see happen in the Drogheda area?
3: I like to hear the draw to the loud area and even beyond. What I'd like to see is a complete review in relation to what we need. If we're talking about addiction services, if we're talking about those early interventions whereby we can stop people falling into this, falling into crime from an early stage, we can bridge that gap from some people that are absolutely on the periphery, that we can ensure that they can get properly into education and employment. And we, you know, obviously to deal with the whole issue in relation to drugs, drugs crime, organised crime, you have to take on poverty. And I accept that's not going to be an easy project to do. Now what I did say is I do support a huge amount of work that has been done by the Drahada Implementation Board Mm. and the plan. And the fact is we have the state's resources, we have some element of streamlining But here, you talk to any of those organisations. They'll talk about individual funding gaps. They will also talk about there's no multi annual funding that you can be absolutely strategic in what you need to do. Sometimes you have to work like hell to get whatever funding. Those those
5: groups would have expected the funding. You would have expected the funding following the Garen report, would you? Well, outside, yeah, I would have expected.
3: Like we talk about the Family Addiction Support Network, and we know, you've had probably Christy Mangan and others on, the former uh, chief superintendent, Mm -hmm. speaking about the service that they provided for him. You know, that they provide for people who find themselves in desperate situations. People who find that their family are caught up in addiction or people who find themselves um, facing drug debt intimidation. And people have certain worries and fears and sometimes it's only going through an organisation like that sometimes it's only going through myself or others that it can actually make its way to the Gardaí. Now I have to commend the Gardaí in any of the situations I have dealt with on bringing the added pressure to bear that is necessary but the fact is this is just a normality for a huge Mm. amount of people and it's particularly prevalent in disadvantaged areas in Drogheda, Dundalk and other areas.
5: That's because the killings may have stopped for now uh, but the drug problem continues to be as big a problem as it ever was. Ferguson o- O'Dowd, would you agree with Rory O'Muricu that we need to get real, as he put it?
8: Well, I don't know if we're reading the same report or not, but certainly the second report of the, the implementation report shows exactly the huge successes that there has been. And if Rory was listening to the Chief Superintendent Alan McGovern, he commented there recently about the six million in drug seizures there has been the 200 people that have been before the courts, the breaking up of the criminal gangs, which has been hugely important. But he also spoke, very importantly, about the restoration of community facilities and the increase in support to people, particularly in relation to people who have come to the, uh, to the attention of the Gardaí. And maybe he missed the announcement this week of the €80,000 which Minister Humphreys has given to for the Money More Community Hub, which will be a huge advantage when the hub is actually built, and um, it'll mean there'll be a huge investment in the community and money. More it'll be, we believe, over six million euros, and everything has to progress at a pace. So the eighty thousand is to get the planning permission in place to build the hub. The size is the size which the local authority will be supplying, and all of the community. Groups, and I don't know if Rory should be and is aware of this, I'm sure, are involved in the planning of this and in the support for it. Mm. Uh, but that's only, only part of the plan of what's happening. Also, he spoke about, and I spoke, I know you didn't take my speech in the doll, which was, I think, on the same day, which was very constructive and positive uh, about what is happening in Broad, about the huge, huge changes there have been. For instance, the number of car in Toronto has increased by over 44 uh, since 2018. So there's a huge change in our town. But you're absolutely right. A lot more needs to be done and will be done. Mm. Uh, the LNPTB announced a new training centre uh, on the south side of town for apprentices. It will create 20 jobs as such, but there'll be over 400 electrical apprentices trained there per annum. There's also a huge investment going into the Broad Institute for Further Education down down the money more, uh, which, which should be hugely a huge advantage to third level uh, courses in Broad and also to young people in the area and community groups. There is, of course, a lot more needs to be done, but a lot is.
5: OK, well, you, you can't argue with that, Rory Amurikou. Obviously, a lot is being done. That was a very long list we heard from Fergus O'Dowd
3: not well, that we we did surely and like some of this is you know works being done that we can all argue should have been should have been done earlier and that there hasn't been a sufficient amount of community infrastructure and let's be clear that the pressure came on in relation to Drada because you had a number of drug gangs that engaged in that took it over the top that from their own point of view from their own self preservation view threw everything out the window and put it up to the state and the state had absolutely no choice but to take them on. And that's always to be welcome. Now, do I think, and is Fergus going to tell me that there's no drug dealing going on in it at this point in time. No, not no, no, no. at that, all. That where you've taken dangerous criminals out of it that they haven't been replaced, in some cases by half of idiots, that you're dealing with the guards chasing around after. It's almost like herding mice. That's the situation we're in. And I do I do recognize that there is work done, but I, t- do I think it's anywhere next to near what needs to be done. And I am being serious. Like we are talking about disadvantaged areas that have been failed for many many years, where you have people, you have families that don't feel that they have any connection whatsoever with this state, and it's all we. I really welcome the work that's been done as mm. regards on the funding for the LMEPB. Absolutely fabulous. But we need to be able to bridge that gap that some of the kids we're talking about that fall into these particular problems, that we can get them a lot earlier and we can get them into training, that we can get them into education and we can get them into employment. And that's what needs done. It's a holistic approach. And yes, the Drada Implementation Board are doing good work. Do I think it's enough? No, I think we're starting from a really, really bad place. I welcome the Citizens' Assembly, but the Citizens' Assembly and whatever it produces won't matter unless we put in the resources, and that's resources in relation to... Let's go back to Fergus O'Dowd, if we can. Uh, uh, Put
5: that question to Fergus O'Dowd O'Dowd, that you posed yourself, Rory Murakoud. Do you think uh, uh, any less drugs are being sold in uh, the Drogheda region than would have uh, been the case uh, when the feud was at its peak, Fergus O'Dowd?
8: Well, I think the first thing is, if you listen to what the Chief Superintendent is saying, uh, that clearly the gangs have been broken up and none of them have left the jurisdiction and none of them are no longer actually alive.
5: Yeah, but uh, as Uh, Maria Murakou says, they've been replaced. Uh, But the the question is, do you believe that any less drugs are uh, available now than would have been the case? Well,
8: you see, the question is that there's 6 million euros of drugs where they were valued at 6 million euros have been taken off the streets. Mm. 200 people are before the courts. A lot of people are in jail.
5: But th- that but doesn't mean there are people. less drugs. Well, are, Michael, are there less drugs? Well,
8: Michael, I can't answer that, but what I can say is that the Garda are seeking more and more, and they have the support of the people. And the point is that, obviously, drugs mm. are a problem everywhere, not just in drugs and drug, right around the country. And, um,
5: well, you're right. The Chief the Superintendent Department. Alan McGovern yeah. uh, uh, is very pleased with the progress. And uh, yeah. I think yeah. we, we can hear just a, a little bit of what he uh, has said recently.
9: Many of those responsible have now been brought to justice or are in the process of being brought to justice. This investment enabled us to establish Operation Stratus, which targeted organised crime in the area. Under Operation Stratus, we have almost 1,000 drug incidents detected taking a total of over 6 million euro worth of drugs off our streets. We detected and dismantled organised crime gangs, seized firearms, ammunition and pipe bombs. We have over 500 persons before the courts in respect of drug-related offences, and we have initiated a total of 18 money laundering prosecutions to date. Proactive enforcement of the law from our drugs unit and Gardaí in Drogheda has seen visible reductions in crime and overall antisocial behaviour making Drahada a more attractive place to live and do business. Working with the Drahada Implementation Board has helped to give us a focus on what the community needs. Investment in our community policing team has allowed us to contribute in a major way to enhancing the lives of the people of Drahada.
5: Right, let's go back to Rory Amurakou. If Chief Superintendent Alan McGarvan is as pleased with the progress as he seems to be, why are you not?
3: I've spoken with Alan McGovern a number of times and I have to say I've always commended the Guardian in relation to the work that was done. Like I said, you're talking about a number of drugs gangs that brought murder and mayhem to the streets of Drogheda and the surrounding areas. And they put it absolutely up to the state. So the state resourced the guard sufficiently and there was a sufficient amount of community support mm. and all the rest of it to take on those gangs. And
5: when they seized and the then, €6.5 million Euro worth of drugs, was it just replaced with another €6.5 million Euro worth of
3: drugs? I have yet... Gang? To tell, I have yes to hear from somebody who works in addiction services or who is aware of any of this is telling me that somebody cannot get cocaine or that it has gone through the roof because there is no supply whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That is not the case, and that's the frightening part of it. I mean, I understand that this is a huge issue. It's endemic. It's every part mm-hmm. of society. But the fact is, some of the families that come to me and some of the people and the issues that you're dealing with, and I'd be afraid to start getting into the ins and outs of it because I'd nearly be highlighting people, and I'd be afraid of uh, the, the impact I could literally have on them. But, and I've seen kids who I would have thought were grandkids, who have fallen into some of these issues, fall under a bit of drug death uh, themselves, and then end up knocking on somebody's Mm. granny's door.
5: Well, you're both TDs in the same constituency. Do you see the same problems, Fergus O'Dowd?
8: Of course I see the same problems. And like Bory, I was a teacher, and I've met families that have been devastated as Mm. a result of drugs.
5: Is there any problem getting cocaine in your mind?
8: Well, I don't. The point is that if people want something, they'll find ways of getting it. Criminals supply that. But I think the point is that over half a million euros has been given to the guardian youth diversion projects in Drogheda mm. to take people away from drugs.
5: But what about and the funding expected by yeah, the addiction so. services?
8: Well, uh, what seventy-five thousand has been delivered for early intervention and family support. Yeah, well. And, uh, there's also uh, over 180 primary, secondary, post primary schools have got classes from the Guardian in relation to drug and, uh, and uh, but, alcohol abuse. But the, but the my,
5: addiction I services are not getting the funding that was recommended to them.
8: But but uh, the point is that there get, there is increased funding for, a first of all, uh, a drug treatment court liaison worker, a part-time administrator, mm. a two-year uh, prison link uh, worker. But uh, 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 it's
5: uh, not the funding that they were uh, recommended I,
8: Uh, What what, what I'm saying is, you see, at the centre of the Draw Implementation Report is the community and the statutory bodies, and they have the plan, and they're working on it. And I think it's working very well. But if you ask me, there will always be people who will supply cocaine. There will always be people who will want to take it. We, we can prevent that happening by increased guard activity. And particularly, I think, the huge success mm. was what Superintendent McGovern was talking about, the actual okay. number of community guardians. there's over 18 community guardians in Rada who know and are well-known by all of the people in our town and are respected and liked, and they're doing a fantastic job. But yes, eternal vigilance is the price of by, by okay. being always available, being all of the resources, it's the way, and I think this is happening in our town, regardless of what Corey is saying. Okay. I think he's wrong.
5: Okay. Maria Merco, final words. Community safety for,
3: I asked about this community safety partnerships that are to replace the joint policing committees. I welcome what has been done, as I say, when like you do get a greater element of focus and resources, as happened in Drogheda. I need that to happen that in Dundalk and throughout this state. But let's be clear, unless we're looking at the particular problem that we have... The problem that we have, particularly in, in disadvantaged areas where you have huge levels of poverty, unless we're going to put those really early interventions in and that's going to cost a hell of a lot more than 75 grand or any of the other figures that have been talked about. But see, the cost of not doing it means we're going to have a clogged courts full of people that are probably being used by as pawns by drug dealers, by major players in relation to this. And I am absolutely fed up with dealing with families that are at the are at the um, cold face of this, okay. and in fairness, as I say, I am going to commend the work of the Gardaí, mm. but again, they are under severe pressure. We need to get real about this. This is a whole of government, a holistic, multi-agency approach, and it means it's all those resources that are required to deal with this. OK. And we really need the Citizens Assembly we, we, to be
8: brave. But well, it only have, matters if and, resources and
5: follow. But we've run out of time that, and we have to leave it there. But thank that you both
8: that very much
5: for The implementation board is exactly that. OK. All right. We have to leave it uh, on that note. Thank you both uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Fine Gael, TD for Loud and East Mead. Fergus O'Dowd there. And also speaking to us Sinn Féin TD for Loud and East Mead. Rory Amuricu.
3: Michael Reed
5: on LMFM. Some texts, uh, somebody saying why is the Boys and Girls Club not being used in yellow batter? Ask Fergus, says our caller. I'm sorry, uh, just getting to your text now. Uh, Jim in Trim says leave things as they are in prisons and people might think twice before going in again. Another Jim this time from Navin in Touch saying, Michael, is is it right that criminals who are not Irish nationals should do prison time uh, and end up costing the taxpayer millions, should they not be taken to the airport and deported immediately, he says. The system is a, a, a laughing stock. Somebody else says, uh, could you have a discussion on uh, the decision uh, to uh, support uh, people um, that came into place last week? No older person who wants to execute a power of a attorney would have a clue. They normally would have to use a solicitor to execute this process. Uh, we can probably do that in the coming days, caller. If Thank you indeed. This is uh, this uh, decision making process uh, which uh, will take away power of attorneys uh, and I'm sure it can be very complicated for people. Thank you indeed for bringing that to our attention. Mary Ann Dunleer says, what happened to all of the different forms of contraception that is uh, available out there? from doctors uh, that's uh, instead of becoming pregnant and needing an abortion I think, uh, I take it Mary thank you for your text now and as usual around this time on uh, Tuesday it's time for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk uh, there's uh, a number of incidents which Garda investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with uh, those investigations Garda Ethan Fitzpatrick of uh, Dulik Garda Station joins us for the report this week and we're going to begin last week in Slane when uh, Laurie was stolen
10: uh, good morning and uh, good morning, to all the LMFM listeners. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Guardy at Nav and Garda Station are investigating the test of a white Scania lorry which was carrying COVID-19 test kits at approximately 11pm on Tuesday last, April 25th, on the N2 in Slane. Uh, the driver had parked in a lay-by when a number of people approached the lorry. They restrained the driver and took control of the vehicle. The driver was threatened and driven from the location but was later released with no injuries the lorry was subsequently recovered by Gardaí in the Dungleer area on Wednesday afternoon the 26th and its contents were missing so Gardaí are appealing for anyone who may have witnessed this incident or may have dashcam footage from the N2 uh, between Cullen and South Slane or the surrounding areas between the hours of 11pm to 12.30am on Tuesday April 25th to please contact Navan Garda station on 046 903 Six one hundred or the confidential line on
5: Our next report is of a number of tools worth quite a, a lot of money that were stolen in Julianstown.
10: Yeah there was a guardian in are uh, investigating uh, the test of tools from a vehicle at Sarfield town, Julianstown, county Mead. Uh, This occurred on Wednesday, the 26th of April at approximately 10 a.m. The inter-party, he was conducting work on a house at the above location while entry was gained to his vehicle. uh, His vehicle was a red Ford Transit and the side door of the vehicle was damaged. And numerous de-wall tools were taken, such as a nail gun, screw gun, concrete saw. And these tools uh, have a value of close to €5,000 so Gary are appealing to anyone who may have been in the vicinity of Sarsfield Town, Julianstown, on Wednesday the 26th of January at approximately 10am, or may have moulded anything suspicious in this area, We're uh, appealing if anyone has any information regarding this crime, to please contact Laytown Garda Station on 041 981 3320 or the Garda Confidential Line on 1800 666 1111.
5: Okay. Next to a, a burglary that happened in Navin after four men gained entry to a house.
10: Uh, and Navin are investigating an, an aggravated burglary. Uh, it occurred on Sunday, the 30th of April, at approximately 2 a.m. in Tubberclare Meadows, Navan, County Mead. That's correct. Uh, the suspects gained entry to the dwelling while the homeowner was present and injuries were sustained by the homeowner. Uh, Guardy believed that four males are involved. And they were described as wearing uh, all dark clothing. So, Guardy are currently canvassing the area for uh, more CCTV footage, and they've been conducting house-house inquiries, but uh, we're appealing if anyone was in the vicinity of Tupper Clare Meadows at this time or noted anything suspicious, to please contact NAV and Garda Station on 046 903 6100. And that was on Sunday, the 30th of April.
5: OK, uh, just mention then of uh, the Go Purple Day, a Garda initiative uh, to come back to domestic violence, uh, and uh, quite a successful day on Friday.
10: Yeah, it was a, a brilliant day. It was the, the annual D- domestic violence awareness campaign, uh, which helps strengthen community partnerships between domestic violence services and on Garda So as you said there, it was held last Friday at Garda stations uh, across the region. It's uh, the national campaign, Gold Purple Day. It was actually an initiative started by Garda Stacey Luby, uh, who was stationed in Navan Garda station back in 2020. So it's grown and huge momentum and support over the past uh, three years. So, members of the public, as well as guard personnel nationwide, were encouraged to show their support uh, by simply wearing purple or drawing or baking something purple. So, it's an opportunity really to highlight the important work carried out by domestic abuse support services and share information on how victims can access their services. Uh, the most important thing, really, is to help spread the word about this important issue and to emphasise uh, the possible warning signs of domestic abuse. And I'd just like to say it was a fantastic support for the day across the region. Um, I'd like to thank everyone involved who made it such a success. Uh, I was personally involved in the Ashburn Go Purple Day. And I'd just like to give a special mention now. Uh, we had Eurovision winner uh, Johnny Logan in attendance and uh, the Ashburn Lions Club for their support on the day. And just to mention that they're currently fundraising for Mead Women Refuge on uh, their upcoming coast-to-coast cycle so best of luck to them in that.
5: Excellent. Uh, another Gardra initiative uh, to just briefly mention before we go uh, and uh, there's uh, soccer uh, between all members of uh, the community taking place in Rat Oath.
10: Yeah, the, the late-night leagues are, are back in Rat in County Mead. Uh, it's the first time the league has returned to Rat since COVID-19 and it's a joint venture organised by the Ashburn Community Policing Team uh, in conjunction with the FAI in Mead and Mead Sports partnership so it's been on the uh, the last two Saturday nights from 8pm to 9pm in Rathod Harps We've had a fantastic turnout so far, some great fun with some of the local Gardie, showing off their soccer skills with some of the youths. So just uh, wanted to get it out there that there's no experience needed. All are welcome, boys and girls aged 12 to 18. Uh, We'd especially love to see a few more female players get involved and it was great to see a current Women's League of Ireland player and uh, Ashburn guard uh, Naima Shumala taking part last week. So it's on again this Saturday, May 6th, And the following Saturday, May 13th, from 8pm to 9pm, at are both AstroTurf, and I'd like to thank them for the use of the AstroTurf. If anyone wants any additional information, they can contact Ashburn Garda Station on 01 801 0600 or the Mead FAI Development Officer uh, Richard Smith on 083 878.
5: Very good. Thank you, indeed. Garda Ethan Fitzpatrick of uh, Dulik Garda Station will return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's program. That's our program for today. Maggie McGuire, research. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I, Michael Godwilliam, will see you for our next program tomorrow morning at nine a.m. Right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye bye. <laughs>